recording live with the only Seahawks podcast that knows baseball general managers might be better than most NFL general managers at general managing a football team. Kevin, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right. Oh, that was nice ringing. Uh, came in strong there. Eric, how are you, sir? I'm great. That was a nice little uh, Cleveland Browns intro you gave us. Yeah, well, we're going to be came talking. Came in too hot there. I didn't see it coming. We're going we're gonna to be talking about the AFC North, but first... Let's talk Hawks. A, uh, a busy week in Seahawks news this week. That's a, that's a joke uh, for the people out there. Uh, here we go. Cam number, Chancellor got married again. Oh. Number one story of the week. Uh, according to Seahawks Twitter and Seahawks Reddit, uh, Seahawks Blitz, top honors in NFL mascot rankings. With an what? 8 out of 10 in likability, a 7 out of 10 in kid friendliness, Kevin was ready for a this. 7 out of 10 in intimidation factor, and an 8 out of 10 in cool factor. We can always count on Kevin to come with the, with the hard statistics in terms of the mascot rankings. Yeah. I According to Pro Football Focus. No, as, actually, it's USA Today. As crazy as I am about uniforms, Kevin is on it with the mascot. I, have you ever met Blitz? No, and I, I did meet Boom, though, and it <laughs> sucked. Uh, <laughs> I've seen Blitz at the Rainiers games, and I've given him a high five. Uh, Blitz came to my school. Uh, we had Blitz, and... You, you guys really hit it off. We had Blitz and Juanita's own. Oh, Brian Walters? They were our two wow. representatives for, uh, like, uh, NFL Play 60. Um, I was at another school, and they got Brandon Meebane. I could tell you which school got screwed. <laughs> but Blitz I, was actually really cool. He was really good with the kids. Uh, he had all of the the mime stuff down really well. He, he, did a good, he did a really good job. I Okay, let me say this. I've heard from multiple sources. Blitz is a really cool guy. Mascot, like, he does great at events and all this stuff. I hate mascots, and I remember <laughs> when I was a kid how mad I was when Blitz... Because I, like, I was, like, in the target age demographic, or maybe just growing out of the target age demographic when blitz got introduced because he's not an old mascot no. i think he came in when we got he came in with the new stadium yep and yeah. uh i i was just like man this sucks like blitz is just so corny and it's so cheesy to have a mascot and then you know and then they changed him from looking like a stuffed brown hawk into a caricature of the helmet okay. then how did you feel Blitz is he's fine I, I hey, can't say hey, any more than that. I don't like mascots. It's a ringing endorsement for Nathan Santo from a mascot. He's my second favorite mascot. How about that? Behind, Behind rhubarb the, the reindeer. Rhubarb the reindeer, dog. <laughs> gotta get. Gotta give my big ups to rhubarb That's the reindeer because uh, rhubarb the reindeer used to be uh, for many years, like a decade, was a woman underneath that guy's. And also, uh, I used Turns to out, uh, the guy Beretta. who the guy who used to play Sasquatch used to be my favorite mascot. Until he went to Oklahoma City with the team, then yeah, fuck that cool. guy. All right, <laughs> all those all those friggin' Bigfoot in so, Oklahoma. Screw sorry, you guys. I, I had to put a big dollar in the swear jar on that one because I'm still really salty about it. So, uh, other Seahawks news this week: uh, Kenny Easley getting ready for the great honor, becoming the fourth Seahawk inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and talks about repairing his rift with the team. Uh, so. Kevin, do you know what is the rift that they speak of here? Did you write this down, or uh, I know it already. Yeah, I believe go for Eric's it. also yeah. quite familiar. So, um, towards the end of his career, he had some injury concerns. There was, uh, let's say, some debate between himself and the team as to what medications he was prescribed and what quantities. And uh, he believes that the way that he was treated, and medical evidence seems to prove that his treatment was responsible for his illness that basically ended his career. Eric, would you like to do a little more than that? Yeah, honestly, um, you, you really said everything, but I, I tend to side with the players here because unless... Because the NFL has a bad track record when it comes to medically taking care of their employees? 100%. <laughs> I mean, unless you're Michael Irvin, I believe that any kind of drug-induced problems are, you know, due to pain are, are really on the team. And look at, look at one of my, like... Uh, kind of under-the-radar favorite Seahawks, Brian Bosworth. Yeah, the guy was a pain in the ass. But that guy took a lot of painkillers. He also took a lot of steroids. But he took a lot of painkillers. He couldn't play, and who did he battle with? He battled with then front office of the Seattle Seahawks, just like Kenny Easley did. That's a fact. And you want to say, like, oh, well, you know, the old Seahawks front office you know, wasn't very good. I don't know if any NFL front office with its players and player safety is any good. I like to say the Seahawks are now, but I don't know for sure. I think they're as good as any, but the NFL doesn't incentivize treating players well. Nope. We got real, Nathan. All right. So uh, last thing I wanted to talk about is um, there's like a, a thing that bothers me that people say, and I just want to get it off my chest. People say Russell Wilson can't throw deep. 
Okay, they say Russell Wilson doesn't throw long, or they say Russell Wilson doesn't throw deep. Uh, it's a Do these con- people it's not a criticism. Watch football? Okay, yeah, this is what I, I want to <laughs> say. So, uh, Eric, how do you feel about Russell? I'm going to give you some stats in just a second. I got to pull them up from another page. But what do you think about Russell Wilson's ability to throw the ball far? Uh, I think that Russell Wilson is, if not the best, uh, you know, tied for the best at throwing 50-50 balls. And 50-50 balls, by my definition, are long throws down the field where it's going to get caught or it's going to be out of bounds. Well, uh, I believe, according to statistics, he was in the top five like each of his first yes. three seasons. I, I think Russell Wilson, because I watch Seahawks football, and I don't just get him confused with another mobile quarterback who currently doesn't have a job in the same <laughs> division, uh, that he can throw deep, and he can throw deep well. All right, so here, here's the deal. Um, I I went into the the deep ball project. It's a brickwallblitz.wordpress.com. It's like a really, like, uh, honestly, this guy is not getting enough attention for what he's doing, but he's done a big, deep dive on, like, how every guy throws deep. How good are they at throwing deep? And he can't track touchdowns, interceptions, accuracy percentage. Uh, on last year on 16 or more yards in the air throws 58.7 percent ninth in the league on 20 plus yards in the air throws 57.8 percent fourth and he says that this is russell wilson's worst season he's had in his career throwing the deep ball um and he still threw it as good as anyone else may be in the best his fourth in the league he gave him a b plus on throwing the deep ball uh right below it you can see Jameis winston got a solid f <laughs> so, so um, and if you look at his chart of everyone, he put Russell Wilson last year fourth. So I was the guy who couldn't throw off his back foot. Yeah, and he was hurt all year. So I, I really like, uh, I really like Russell Wilson uh, throwing the deep ball. And I think like this is a, this is a, a, a narrative that needs to die. Um, well, I believe it was two years ago. It's so not uh, the season that we bowed out in the Super Bowl was the season where we brought it up in multiple articles. Um, at the time, I wasn't on the podcast. You guys mentioned on the podcast a number of times. I want to say Russell Wilson was like second in the NFL in deep ball efficiency that year yep. behind, I think, Aaron Rodgers. This is back when uh, Pro Football Focus stats didn't cost Texas with a dollar sign next to it, so I had them access <laughs> to them. It sucks now not having access to them. Uh, if you want me to have access to Pro Football Focus stats, you just got to get our Patreon numbers up to like $1,000 a month. Because it's so expensive. Thanks, Chris Collinsworth. It's eleven billion dollars. Yeah, um, but yeah, he's had some great. He had some great deep ball last season. The the deep throw against the the Los Angeles Rams early in the season. You had the um, the great throw against the Patriots from the thir- when they was around the thirty, and he threw it to the the basically the goal line. Like there was lots the of good feast of one handed catches in that one game where uh, I think Baldwin Graham. And he just throws it nicely over the shoulder else. too. Like he just hits guys like right in stride. Um. Yeah, he's just got he's got great mobility, great precision, and I think he'll be even better next year at in the terms of this because the line's going to be better. It's it it could still be a, a mediocre to bad offensive line, but it will be better than worst in the league, and it will seem like a a healthy improvement. And Lockett's our best deep ball receiver, and he'll be healthier just because we added so many guys. We just there's just more bodies to choose from on the offensive line. All right, so uh, that's that's it for Hawks news. Kevin, did you find did you dig anything up that I missed? I have a couple of things that I oh, want to bring up. We have some pro football focus grades, and I wanted to bring up uh, two players in particular. The first of which is Justin Britt, as we we've, we've talked about him quite a bit. Um, I'm going to go over his last three years, the grades that he's had. Justin Britt had a grading. So if you're seventy to seven, if you're seventy to eighty, you're good. If you're 81 to 90, you're very good. If you're 91 or above, you're elite, elite. according to Pro Football Focus. Um, he had a grade of a 79.9. Let me, let me just add the methodology of these numbers. Really, you got if you listen to their podcast, they'll kind of give you like a, a peek behind the curtain, but it's really hard to figure out. How There's they, some secret sauce here. Yeah, they're they're not giving out all the information. <laughs> Two all beef patty, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, onions, and anyway, um, I've got the pickles. Anyway, he was 12th. He was ranked 12th among centers. But anyway, he had that 79.9. This is compared to, as a right guard uh, the previous year, he had a 37.6. And as a right tackle his rookie year, he had a 54.2. So we're talking about a dramatic improvement at center. I have two kind of questions about this. The first is, because we've dug in and talked a lot about why he's better at a center. But I want to know, what do you think his ceiling is at center? 
And what do you think the front office is going to do with him? Uh, Eric, do you want to start with that? Yeah, um, I love this question. I think, honestly, and this is not a knock on Justin Britt, I think his ceiling is what we had last year. I don't really know if he's going to get any better. Uh, From what I've seen, and this is Kevin, Nathan, you can tell me I, I am wrong about this. But when an overall line improves the center, the center is always like the anchor. Uh, you know, he's the guy with the cadence, with the timing, with the hiking of the football and whatnot. Uh, they don't, like, we're looking for right tackle and right guard to gel. We're looking at the left side to gel. The The center's already gelled. The center is what everyone is molding around. I think that he will maybe look better, but I don't really see Justin Britt improving much. And I think that's fine. I think where we are with Justin Britt is great. I think part of, I think partly because of what I just said, the Seahawks may move on from Justin Britt. One is what one year, yeah. two years. Uh, we did draft uh, not Tyler Columbus. Ethan no, Posick. Hey, it's a P last name. I was close. Uh, Ethan Posick. He's uh, a lot of people in the draft. You know, the draft experts were like, "Oh, they got a new center. Uh, they didn't need help at center." You know, this is a guy who can move around the line, but also. Uh, he you may be looking at our center of the future, and uh, you know we don't know what that means for sure. But I would not be surprised if they moved on from Britt. Yeah, Eric brings up a lot of the points that I would have brought up, which is that Britt's ceiling is a borderline Pro Bowler, which is what he was last year. You know, a guy who is probably the fifth best center in his conference. Um, he is a he is a good a good football player. Uh, he he's smart and. The center lets him play to his advantage, you know, which is that he's already got kind of some veteran savvy for a guy who's so young in the league. Uh, do I think we bring him back? It really depends. You know, I think at the, at the right price, they definitely would. But as of right now, the Seahawks have how many Seahawks offensive linemen have second contracts, guys, since the Pete Carroll era started? None. That's none. Yeah, that's right. You're exactly right. None. They have not. There's been no second contract given to an offensive line in the Pete Carroll, John Snyder era. And I'm not sure that he'll be the first guy to break that trend uh he he has the best shot i think that he fits well in what they want to do and at some point they have to they maybe have to stop like being like hey tom cable just figure this garbage out this year you know and give him something actually to some extended time to build some continuity along the line but yeah it's definitely possible that Pusich was brought in to just be the uh like eventual replacement for when justin Britt gets nine million dollars from the jets next year right that's definitely one us a possibility uh, the only thing I'd add to that, I think you guys covered it pretty well. I think you're right. He's going to be somewhere between the 8th and 12th best center. That's just kind of what he is. And I think that cap number is definitely what's going to dictate whether or not he gets re-signed. The only thing fighting for that is, unless you are elite as a center, you don't get as much money as a lot of other offensive line positions. So I think if Posick shows that he can play a different position on the line and Britt isn't going to ask for too much money, that's the circumstance where you see him brought back. Well, wait, what does, uh, <clears throat> what does our old center in New Orleans make? Six million? Are you talking about Max Unger? Yes. yes. Uh, Max- Literally forgot his number right as the sentence started. Um, Thank you. <laughs> he makes a decent amount, but I also think he's a higher Oh Yeah, but I was going to say, isn't it like six Max million? Max Unger got three years, $22 million. Dollars. Mm, that's 14, over seven. 14, three guaranteed money. Okay. So yeah, that's. Would, would you give Would you give three years twenty million to uh, Justin Britt? I have three eighteen. Yeah, I think it depends on where the rest of our money's going. I think that's a little high. Yeah, I think you want to keep in that five to six range. Okay, all right. Um, the other one is, and I just want to bring this up because this struck me as stupid. Uh, we talked about how you know there's some secret sauce in Pro Football Focus ratings, um, and how you know you can call them into question every once in a while. They know what they're doing for the most part. But you can really call them into question sometimes. Like, for instance, Earl Thomas has never been ranked as an elite safety in the NFL. They, to pro football they openly admit that their rating system does not work very well for what Earl Thomas does on a football field, though. Is it sort of like how... Uh, they know. They're, like, aware. They're, like, we. he does something that's really important and special, but he's, like, so unique that we have a hard time quantifying it using our particular system. And I believe, is it one of those things, uh, Nate, you could tell me, defensive metrics in baseball sometimes have trouble when an outfielder has just range for days. Or, like, because or he if they have his glove on a lot of stuff. Insane arm that, like, gets a lot of outs, you know, like, stuff like that just doesn't show up in the... It's hard to quantify it, too. 
Like you, you know, they have stuff so like he unified, broke the metric. unified zone rating and stuff. But yeah, <laughs> he doesn't break it because he always qualifies in the 80s. Like he always is good. Yeah, his and, lowest grade was a 77.9 as a rookie. Here's, Last year he was injured for five games and was an 84.6. Here's the thing that hurts him in the in this rating system is that Earl Thomas does a lot of things really well. Um, and I, I, like in his incredibly special football player in a future Hall of Famer and probably, in my opinion, the second or third most important defensive cog in the entire league like you can build your defense around earl thomas the thing that that i that he doesn't do though is he's not like a great like wrap him up tackler who like finishes every tackle a lot of times he's like he gets a guy and he holds him and then two more guys come and help and then he's not going to score a crazy amount of if you're not making one-on-one open field tackles that's a good way to rack up some pro football focus points i think you know we don't know what the actual metric is, but it's the little things, you know, like he's, he's a guy who slows guys down instead of, instead of just taking them out of the play. I mean, every once in a while he vaporizes someone and it's nice, like in that Minnesota game. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's not, it's not always the case. So I, I like Earl Thomas. I think he's great. Uh, I think that if I rated him, you know, I'd say he's the second or third best defensive player in the league. Uh, but in terms of just raw, like, the numbers are going to be against him just because he does something different. It's so unique. No one else does it. So what, what do you do? Do you just put in like an Earl Thomas boost or something? You, know, you can fudge the numbers, but it's not what you want to be doing. You just want to admit like, hey, there's a flaw in our system, and this is the, this is the flaw. When a, when a one-of-a-kind over-the-top safety that makes it so you can play cover one, but it's like you're playing cover two comes along, <laughs> it breaks our system. Yeah. So, yeah, that's how I feel about that. All right. Uh, you guys ready to talk about AFC North football? Uh, Do you have any NFL news? I don't I mean, think we've I've been, ever I've been, been more sk- ready. I've been kind of skipping like the NFL, the the general NFL news stuff during these previews just because they take so long. Uh, but what do you got, Kevin? You got okay, really I just cool? have one thing, and that is, when did summer become GM firing season? I don't know, but oh. the, the Gettleman firing is, ho- firing is horrible. Well, I guess we'll, I was going to kind of wait to talk about this until we get to the AFC South, but I don't really understand what they expected from him he couldn't keep josh norman and carolina panthers gm we're talking about yeah they couldn't they couldn't afford to keep josh norman like what what did he want what do they want him to do like he could have mortgaged the entire team this team is has a really good roster and they're set up to be good for the next couple years they're one year removed from a super bowl run i don't really it doesn't make any sense to me people are coming out of the woodworks to attack the guy is the only thing but i mean he's a gm who came into an overcap team? A team he's that was not going to make friends. A team that was getting giving forty five million dollars to two different running backs, like, <laughs> like just like there's stupid stuff not, going on that not roster. Awesome running backs. I mean, well, I mean, D'Angelo Williams is great, but he yeah, was they're great both on that good team. running backs. Yeah. Jonathan Stewart and D'Angelo Williams are both good, but they're both injury prone. They both made way too much money. All right, it I, feels like a panic move, honestly. Right. I mean, at this time. This time of year, it's a panic move. All right, let's yeah. let's get started with the uh, the AFC North. The AFC North last year was won by the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, that was the only team that made the playoffs out of this division. Uh, many have considered this like one of the most powerful divisions of the last like ten years in the uh, NFL. But it maybe is a division that is uh, going to try. So we're going to start alphabetical order with the Baltimore Ravens. The Baltimore Ravens went eight and eight last season. Uh, their over under is set at nine by Las Vegas, uh, even money. So actually, uh, under is a little bit of a favorite. They brought in Tony Jefferson, Brandon Carr, and Jeremy Macklin, and they lost Ricky Wagner, uh, Steve Smith, and Elvis Dumerville. Uh, yeah. So Kevin, Kevin, uh, <laughs> let's start with you. Do you like the way that the uh, the Baltimore decided to kind of reload this off season, and do you think it will be effective in in a kind of kickstarting them back into the playoffs i do think they need some really savvy moves i think there's a few kind of odd interesting things uh another thing is they lost is it anthony zetta the offensive guard like they've lost three or four starting offensive linemen in the last two seasons which is a bit of a problem for them and if i see anything kind of biting them in the butt that's where it's going to happen because otherwise their additions are really interesting tony jefferson in the back along with eric weddle is going to make up for a somewhat iffy cornerback tandem. And then I think Chris Wormley's a great fit for them as a defensive end slash defensive tackle. I think... Tyus Bowser's going to be able to pick up a lot of the Doomerville slack, I think. He's a freak athlete, and if he can take coaching, which I think he can, I tend to agree. And the and other Charles thing... Charles Suggs will be back. 
Terrell Suggs is back, which is always good when you get a little healthy with that. I think Matt Elam leaving and Tony Jefferson coming in is a massive upgrade for them. Like, that can't be underestimated. Yeah, this is my my big thing, Kevin, is, is right along there with yours, is Eric Weddle and Tony Jefferson might be the best safety pairing in the league outside of Seattle. It's top it, five. And it might, be the, it might be the best one, including Seattle. Like, Eric Weddle and Tony Jefferson are both elite, elite football players. Tony Jefferson's season last season was insane. He was so good. And I just, the guy's a tackling machine. And Eric Weddle is just, he's got that great beard, you know? So, so, yeah. so, so I, I really like beard. what Baltimore did here, adding Tony Jefferson to an already strong defense. Well, and they uh, picked up Marlon Humphrey in the draft. Yep. who could be a really special corner. <clears throat> yeah, they sent a first-round pick on a cornerback. They brought in Brandon Carr, so they have three solid corners now to yeah, go with Jimmy, Jimmy Smith. Smith. Yeah, And then they have the the biggest hole in their roster is they don't really have a running back, although I really like the pickup, the sneaky pickup of Danny Woodhead uh, being kind of effective in shoring up maybe some of their third-down back weaknesses. And Joe Flacco said he's the best pass-catching running back they've had since Ray Rice left, which, I mean... Is really complimentary, but also doesn't say a lot. Yeah, yeah. sure. Uh, I think that this is the year where you have to see Joe Flacco do something. I mean, if you're if you're listening to a Ravens podcast, you're going to hear this every year. But with the addition of Danny Woodhead, I think they want to help Joe Flacco get better by giving them you know a, a pass catching running back. Uh, the success of this team relies on Joe Flacco. I mean, we always talk about like playoff Joe Flacco or regular season Joe Flacco. They need Joe Flacco good all year round, and I think this move is designed to help him achieve that or yeah, and I still take think a step forward at least. They had some; they had lost on the offensive line. I mean, Ricky Wagner's a big loss. Ricky Wagner was a really good right tackle, probably the best right tackle right tackle in the league. Yeah, and uh, I think it, it it was out of their range. They were going to have a really hard time re-signing him, and so they decided just to let it go. And I mean, maybe they'll just run left more. They saw Ronnie Stanley and Marshall Yanda. Like, I'm not afraid that their offensive line is going to totally fall apart. That's no. that's still two guys that are elite level offensive linemen that they can build around. So I'm not scared that, oh, this season, all of a sudden their offensive line is going to suck. They added Jeremy Macklin, who if he could stay healthy is, you know, probably as good as 40 year old Steve Smith senior. And yeah, I don't know. They just got, they just got to get a little bit out of Lorenzo Taliaferro and Terrence West and Buck Allen. Like they just got to get one of these guys going on first and second down, so they don't have to throw every single play. You know what's going to be the sneaky key to this offense is what they can get out of Danny Woodhead and the tight ends because the weird good, thing I'm seeing as a good tight ends on this roster too. They have a lot of like solid tight ends and if you think about it though, Jeremy Macklin, Mike Wallace, and Brashad Perriman are almost the same guy. They're all like speedy outside field stretching receivers. Jeremy Macklin's only with like a little bit more versatility. It's and they like brought they're going to be getting ready in to like chuck a mi- it deep. They brought in a million un- undrafted free agents to try they to compete to. compete for these last wide receiver and spots. Quincy Odiambo out of all of those is the one uh Odiambo is kind of a bigger body. He's a guy who has a chance of being kind of a different style of receiver. Yeah, they need one of these guys to hit. Although they do have a uh, Chris Matthews, so you know, maybe he'll recapture that magic. <laughs> I don't know. He's also big. Yeah, he's six foot five. He is a big dude. All right, so uh, the Baltimore Ravens—they came in. They—they're uh, looking at eight wins. Eric, how do you how do you feel about the Baltimore Ravens this year? Uh, do you want my final grade? My sure, record go for, for them? it. Give it all. I have them eleven and five. Eleven and five, and what? What, do, what makes you think that they're going to have a bounce back year? That's three wins better than last year. Uh, they they have Terrell Suggs coming back, which is good. Terrell Suggs is getting older. I really don't like this division as much as I did last year. Uh, the Bengals are going to take significant. We'll get to them in a second, but they're going to take a step back, and I believe that Joe Flacco will show. Uh, he's not going to be a five out of five. He's going to be a four out of five this year, but it'll be good enough. Yeah, I really do. I just also their schedule looks looks uh, doable to in short to use a, an awesome word I love saying all the time. Yeah, their strength doable. of schedule I, on mine is like one of the easiest in the whole league. The only thing when I was looking at their schedule that I had a problem with is I have them five and one in the division, and I'm sticking to that because that's what I made. I don't like that prediction. I feel like they'll be four and two. In yeah, the they division. might cough up an extra win somewhere. Yeah, a little yeah. extra loss. Yeah. Uh, all right, Kevin, how do you feel about the Bengals? I also have them at 11-5. and five. Yeah. I have them in the playoffs, uh, but by strength of schedule, I have them at the wild card. 
Uh, well, I didn't say my seed. What do you have? Uh, I think they're my five or six seed. I have five. Yeah. 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 So I've either even uh, winning the division at twelve and four. I think that this this team was really hurt by injuries last year. They mm-hmm. had they've two years in a row now. They've had the like among the worst injury luck in the whole league. And in those two seasons, they went nine and seven and eight and eight. And of course, you know my favorite thing, guys: secret yards. They have the best kicker in the league. Uh, Justin Tucker is the best kicker in the NFL. Uh, and that that matters, you know that there's they're gonna they're gonna get a lot of stuff out of that. So but how I, does he kick with his left foot? Yeah, I know <laughs> he did he did screw me in fantasy last year because he tried to do a fake. They kick lined him up where for... they lined him up as a left footed kicker. It's like it's everyone knows this is a fake now, bro. He's not left footed. Hey man, yeah. we're talking about the greatest kicker in the NFL right now. Yeah. Let's <laughs> just say that if he kicked with his left, he wouldn't I lost, make it. I lost that week by one. That's so. only slightly dumber, Charlie. Than, or that's only lucky. slightly less dumb than Indianapolis putting a wide receiver out as a long snapper all by themselves to get swarmed. So I really like the Ravens, though. It, they, I mean, if they have bad injury luck again, that's it is what it is. But th- if this team can stay healthy, they have a ton of talent on both sides of the ball. And I do think, I agree with Eric, this has turned into a division of haves and have-nots. And there is a team on the rise, for sure, but you can't go from 1-15 in 15 <laughs> to, to, to the playoffs. It just doesn't happen. So nope. this division's a little bit of a haves and has-not situation, and I think Baltimore right now is still in the haves category. Charles Suggs has been in the NFL for a long time. Maybe he's only got one or two good years left. And uh, Joe Flacco, is she's just okay. They're getting a little older. They're kind of at the end of the window. They need the next yeah, generation is, to really step in hard. This is the end of their window for sure. They're going to have to get a new quarterback at some point maybe, or they're going to have to get uh, a new really elite pass rusher. So maybe Wormley steps up and becomes that guy, or Tyus Bowser, one of those two guys. All right, we move on to the Cincinnati Bengals. Cincinnati Bengals went 6-9-1 last year. Their over and under has been set by Vegas at 8 it's minus 105 to get over, so under is a slight favorite. Uh, they brought in Kevin Minter. Uh, they drafted John Ross, and they uh, brought in Andre Smith. They lost Andrew Whitworth, Kevin Zeitler, Carlos Dansby, and Rex Burkhead. Uh, Eric, starting with you. Yes. The 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 uh, experiment with our favorite head coach slash general manager slash president of football operations <laughs> slash they make this guy do too many jobs to make him worth the money uh, slash secret owner of the franchise. You really think he secretly owns the franchise? Why no, I think the it's job? public. Okay, but Marvin Lewis, he Mar- <laughs> Marvin Lewis, he he has been hanging on here forever, forever. Mystery named himself. Uh, yes, and so without really ever doing, let's be honest, without really being that successful. So do you? Do you think that he's likable, Jeff Fisher? Do you think that this is the la- this is the end of the run for Marvin Lewis, or is this is he going to get to ride again? This is my question for you: Is this Marvin Lewis's final season with the Bengals? All right. First of all, you said that without really doing anything, Marvin Lewis has had to manage like when you look at all like people say, "Ooh, the NFL is just full of felons." It's something like one or three percent of all players, which is less than the population. So if you're looking at like you know like a little Compared just, to uh, people, yeah, but I mean, if you're just looking at like a, you know, taking that as a as a sample, it's it's a pretty small part of the NFL population. Having said that, Marvin Lewis has had to manage like two percent of of all the, or I'm sorry, like eighty percent of all the felons in the NFL. It's been a terrible, terrible group of people he's had to manage and deal with. I feel like Marvin Lewis, Kevin, you said better Jeff Fisher, likable Jeff, likable Fisher. Jeff Fisher. I think Marvin Lewis. We've talked about this before. We so you're him. saying he's Tony Dungy? Ooh. That's solid. That's solid. Yeah, that's good. I'll say, no. I'll say this. Is this his last ride? Yeah. Except, until, except Tony Dungy actually finished the Super Bowl. Until we find out that, you know, at the end of the year, he's won five or six games and they keep him. That's the thing. Marvin Lewis is the guy that cannot be fired. Like, he has some dirt on the Alligator owner. blood? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, uh, no, this is not. the Marvin Lewis is untouchable. To answer your question, no. But here's the thing: he's a guy who, who's been in this in this franchise way too long. This franchise needs a culture change. They can't do it until they completely blow it up and rebuild. And uh, I, I don't know. Is, are they going to do it? What? Why haven't they done it three years ago? I mean, what? Where is the line for Marvin Lewis? I think it's back seasons ago. What they needed to happen was they needed to have him take a step back into the front office back when they had uh, Gruden and... Right, because he's a he, the, the fact that they make him wear so many hats, he's actually a pretty good GM. 
he's constructed a decent roster for many years. Although I think this year is maybe one of the worst he's ever constructed. But they're in a rebuild, basically. But yeah, he had to start a rebuild at some point. You can't just keep treading water forever. The yeah, he's constructed a good rosters throughout this time in Cincinnati, Kevin. I agree. Especially with that. for Cincinnati. Yeah, like he got people to come play in in Ohio, which yeah. is pretty cool. So, uh, Kevin, what do you think about the roster they have constructed for this year, though, specifically? They lost probably their two best offensive linemen. Now it's like bowling, Bodine, and dudes. I'll go even farther than that, Kevin. I think Andrew Whitworth was the best player on free agency this year. Maybe, maybe That's a reasonable argument. But you can make the argument that Clay Campbell is also in free agency, so maybe I should take a step back. And Uh, they replaced him with Andre Smith, (laughs) who's... uh, Bad. Who's so good that he couldn't hold down a starting job with the Vikings? Right. Yeah. He's like barely. He's like a treading water starter with the Vikings. Kevin Zeitler also is very good at football. Yes. Uh, let's. Like let's he not was a big that. signing for another team that we're going to be talking about. Yeah. And I also think quietly losing Carlos Dansby, he was kind of like the veteran, the adult in the room. Uh, yes, he was he was the coach on the field. He was dad in the locker room and they need a guy like that because they have a lot of kind of young bucks that are a little off the yeah, hook. Yeah, who's going to keep Vontae's perfect and Pac-Man Jones in line now? It's all up to like Drake Kirkpatrick, Cincinnati and, PD, and Kevin Gin- Kevin yeah, Minter. They've always been kept in well, line. And now they picked up Joe Mixon who is another person with Kay. off the field trouble but elite talent. It's another thing though. It's like their their first two draft picks were like such luxury picks. It doesn't make any sense. Like, we're going to draft a running back. We've used a, don't don't forget though. We've used a second round draft pick on a running back in 2013 and 2014. But let's use another second round pick on a running back. And can't really split those carries that well already. Yeah, and we already have trouble getting all these guys on the field. So here's oh, the only thing they did that. Wait, I like. Kevin. Kevin, can we can we can we can we also spend a first round pick on wide receiver when we already have like the other all world wide receiver AJ Green? Like, yeah. It's just short-sighted. So I always forget this team has A.J. Green until when you talk about him or week one Fantasy of the season. Fantasy football. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, Andy Dalton has three starting running backs. A.J. Green, John Ross, Brandon LaFell, Tyler and Josh Malone, and Tyler Boyd. So he's got – and Tyler Eifert. He's got plenty to throw to, but I don't know really who's blocking for him. On defense, I'm glad they re-signed Drake Kirkpatrick. That was a good re-signing for them. But they have... And I thought the draft picks they did, they got Ryan Glasgow, Jordan Willis, and Carl Lawson. Their defensive line desperately needed an influx of young and quality players. And those are three players that will immediately go in the rotation and hopefully take some snaps off of some really overworked veterans. I mean, they have... uh, Was it Charles Johnson? They have... uh, yeah, they have uh, Michael Johnson. They have Michael Johnson uh, and Geno Atkins and Carlos Dunlap. And none of those players are young. So they need some people, like they need Andrew Billings to step up. They need some of those players to really take some of the pressure off of their older veterans in the front seven. I mean, they're starting a rebuild, and it looks like they're starting a rebuild, but I just don't really know where this team is going this year. I feel like their holes are debilitating. Yeah, I mean, Andy Dalton takes his time to throw, and one of the strengths of this team was that he had time to throw. You know, he had two and a half seconds to sit back in the pocket. As as his average time to throw last year was two and, and a half seconds. And AJ Green's the best fifty-fifty ball guy probably in the NFL. And the thing about Andy Dalton is, is that he takes more sacks than almost anyone else. He took forty-one sacks last year, which is I think was good for second in the league. the The guy takes tons of sacks already because he takes too long. Now he lost his two best offensive linemen to free agency, and we're going to expect him to go in there and put in another good season, I don't care how many offensive weapons you add to your offense, he's not going to have time to throw deep to John Ross. He's not Tom Brady. He's not a two-second delivery guy. Yeah, he needs... He cannot... He's not Drew Brees, right? He's not Tom Brady. He doesn't just get rid of the ball immediately. He needs time to throw, and he's not going to have it behind this kind of garbage offensive line. Another thing, defense is an investment. you got to invest in your defense. All... You can't just expect to get there just throwing a bunch of middle-round picks out there and hoping that you get your next Geno Atkins. There's a reason they haven't had a fourth-round pick become a starter since 2010, and that's because it's hard to find those guys in the middle rounds. Okay, It's 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 difficult. And they the, if you're not going to invest in your defense, like look at the Seahawks. This happens every other year or so. We put a first-round pick or a second-round pick on defense, and everyone says, we're already good on defense. Defense is an investment. you got to invest picks in it. This you is why we're good on defense, you, folks. You can't just ignore it and hope that it gets better. Okay, Who's our best defensive player? Earl Thomas, first-round pick. 
Who's our second best unit? Okay, Richard Sherman, but he and he's a later pick. But I mean, you gotta get these guys early, or you gotta get lucky, and it's you can't get lucky over and over. They got lucky with Geno Atkins. Now they need to invest in their defense, and they didn't do that, and that really bothers me. Because Last time they invested was Vontez Perfect, probably. Uh, the yeah, Vontez Perfect because of personality. Uh, Drake Kirkpatrick is a yeah, first Drake Kirkpatrick okay. was a first and he's number. very and he's very good. Uh, but the, that was 2012. That was five years ago. Okay, right. That's the only first yeah. rounder. And on he their sat whole for defense. two years. So yeah, they they also had really good cornerbacks when he came in here. Uh, all right, so the Bengals, they're going to expect to get something out of Darkies Denner to this year. They need him to take a big step forward. They, I don't know what what to expect from this team. Uh, I think the Bengals are going to be bad. Uh, I think they got they lost really good players. They didn't really add much that I thought was like really exciting. I have the Bengals at five and eleven, and I feel pretty good about it <laughs> to be honest with you. I also have the Bengals at five and eleven. Having saying said that, I think that the Bengals, like Nathan said, are a team. I don't know what they're going to do. I think they they could surprise and and go eight they're, and eight and make Marvin Lewis head coach another their, year. Their schedule's surprisingly tough too. Yeah, they have. I don't really want to underrate schedule. that. They have to play like the AFC North, the NFC North, which I think has uh, two good teams in it, and they have to play the Broncos. They have to play the Texans. I mean, the Texans are going to take a big step forward this year. So, yeah, I, I'm I'm kind of shaky on them in general. Uh, Kevin, I think they have. They're thin too. They really. don't play a ton of great pass rush teams, and they do have offensive weapons. You know, they're they got to play the Ravens to, twice. They got to play. I said the, a lot. The they Broncos have to play the Texans. And the Ra- That's bad. And the, the Steelers have no pass rush. Uh, Cleveland remains to be seen. Right. The Colts have they no did, defense. Did it get Miles get Miles uh, Garrett? Though. They got Miles Garrett. Then we'll talk about that in a minute. But you can't bank on that quite yet. And so for that reason, I do have the Bengals at seven and nine. But I was sitting on a seven and nine, six and ten edge with them. I think if they if they can win in some shootouts, they'll win. But their defense is not going to win them games. All right. So. Uh, we don't really love the Bengals this year, but that's not too surprising considering uh, the in-out chart that we just went over. So let's go to let's go to Cleveland, the aforementioned Cleveland Browns. Cleveland added a GM from baseball, yep, which everyone thought was a crazy move, and then everyone saw what crazy he started like doing, fox. and people are really into it. They're <laughs> really into it. They brought in Brock Osweiler, Kevin Zeitler, J.C. Treader, Kenny Britt, Jason McCourty. They lost Terrell Pryor, Austin Pastor, Stephen Pye, and Gary Barnage. Uh, their over-under is set at 4.5, and, and it is even big, minus 115, to get on either side of that. So, Browns. Kevin, first of all, let's talk about their draft. They had three first-round picks. Okay. This is a team that uses the draft well. Okay, what did they get? What, what are they going to get out of these three first-round picks? All right, so let's take a look first at Miles Garrett. What you get in Miles Garrett is as can't miss a pass rush prospect as you can possibly have. This is a guy who has really solid size. He's like 6'4", 260, 270, right in there. He carries his weight really well. He's really fast. You know, this is a guy who was getting double and triple team last year, and people were going, well, you know, he kind of disappeared for parts of games. It's like Alabama even double teamed him, and they were running out NFL offensive linemen. Do you think do you think there's any chance that he's like Jadavian Clowney though? It takes him a couple years to kind of get it. If he gets as injured as Jadavian Clowney, yes. But if he stays yes. healthy, you think he'll come along? If he stays healthy, he's not going to be like 16 sacks or anything, but he'll threaten double digits. He'll immediately be a legitimate pass rusher. Like you could look at it won't take him long to get to a Cliff Averill level. I do like the guys he gets to play next to on the defensive line. Danny Shelton, obviously a uh, former Husky. Yep. Uh, I think that he is actually pretty decent. Emmanuel Ogba is also really good on that defensive and line. And don't underestimate, they picked up uh, Larry Ogunjobi and Caleb Brantley. Caleb Brantley fell because of some legal concerns that uh, went away right after the draft. And so they end up picking him up a little earlier than they would have. These are two bigger interior defensive linemen. They had Carl Nassib they picked up last year. Their front seven is really interesting. Jamie Collins was a really good pickup for them as far as just having like a legitimate NFL player. And, right, and uh, it, it, what's weird is that New England got better after he left, and so did Cleveland. Yeah. It was like both teams got better from that. And I think it's just that Jamie Collins was having well, – he was struggling to kind of – be a part of the team there maybe it was a rough situation um otherwise in the draft what they picked up david and joku 
who is a really athletic pass catching t- tight end. Um, he's an upgrade. Like Gary Barnage is kind of a bit of a plotter in comparison. Right. And Joku's okay. like elite athletic, like a Tyler Eifert, uh, maybe even like a Travis Kelsey. Kevin, you're forgetting my favorite positionless athlete. But wait, you're talking about one Jabril Peppers. Don't, yes. don't go there yet. Me. I want to I ask about the tight end because I actually when oh, okay when okay. the draft happened, I circled this because I was like, when we go over this, I got to talk about it. Of all the players they could have got, I mean, they got they got uh, Miles Garrett, they got uh, Jabril Peppers. And then they went after a tight end. What do you love about this guy, Kevin? There's got to be a reason that you really like him because the Browns drafted very well, but this was like, why did, why did they take this guy? Honestly, I was not as high on him as some of the other experts. Like, there are people that are going, teens, this guy might be better than O.J. Howard. And I was like, back the hell up. You're not correct. But he's... He's, he's not he's, he's not he's not athletic. an experienced blocker is my problem with him. Right. He's not going to come in and block really well in season 1, maybe not even in season 2. Agreed, but he does offer something that this team really needs. They lost prior and he is a legitimate pass catching threat in a right. big way over and the they, middle. He has like, and they need that in this team. He has like Greg Olson style upside. Like he yes. could be he could be that good of a pass catcher. So that's I think what they see in him. They that's see absolutely long-term it. pass catcher like Greg Olson. Now for Nathan Gushover. My favorite, wait a minute. Oh. <laughs> they also have one of my favorite luxury picks in Deshaun Kaiser. Sure. Because they basically picked him up at a quarterback because it was like, we already picked up so many draft picks. If this shakes out, that's great. Um, I mean, they're not if gonna, it doesn't, who cares? I doubt they'll play him at all this year. I think they're going to give him the whole season to sit. They'll say, Cody Kessler and Brock Osweiler, you guys handle this. Maybe even a little Kevin Hogan sprinkled in. Unless he lights it on fire, then yeah, they can just afford to bench him and it doesn't matter. Like yeah. they have, That's a luxury. So they're now not, on to Jabril Peppers. I don't think they have a plan, any plans of competing for an actual playoff spot this year. So I think nope. that's Jabril Peppers. Jabril okay. Peppers, at the very least, comes in and offers a ton of value as their punt and kick return. Right, exactly. I think that the biggest value they'll get out of Jabril Peppers this year is he is going to return both punts and kicks. And, and he's a nickel player. very good at it. He will play nickel cornerback. They Basically, don't ha- it'll be nickel safety. Yeah, and he'll be good at that, too. It's going to be tough for him to break in at regular cornerback because McCourty, Hayden, Taylor are all pretty good. Uh, uh, I think corner's their weakest spot. I, thought, I, I like think McCourty's Jason, immediately their best corner. I, you Hayden don't like Joe has not put it together at all. Joe Hayden, I like Joe Hayden. He's never put it together at any point in his career. I feel like that's my problem with him. I feel like he's always been on bad defenses, and it's kind of like you know, overshadowed. If you're always on bad defenses, you might not be that good. Uh, I think that's also a factor. Know, there's talent deficiency here. I mean, Joe, and one of Joe Thomas is both right. Might be Joe you're Hayden. Okay, right. Joe Thomas has always been on bad offenses. Kevin is Joe Thomas bad? <laughs> I think Joe Thomas is the best offensive tackle in football, so I'm I don't I don't agree with that assessment at all. I think what that's I'm saying here poor is I analysis. think Joe Hayden is fine. That's like wins in base pitch pitcher wins in baseball and at level analysis, Kevin. I'm sorry. That's I'm just saying if if they're just because the defense is bad doesn't mean he's bad. Uh, so yeah, they, their offensive line is awesome. They built it from the they're building from the front back. Uh, Joe Thomas, Joe Batonio, J.C. Treader, Kevin Zeitler. Like that's a really good offensive line. So I'm excited about that offensive line. Who's their running back this year? Duke Johnson, Isaiah Crowell. Still, the crow. oh the crow, the crow. Got to feed the crow. <laughs> I forgot about the crow. Uh, so if you go on YouTube and search for uh, there's an Isaiah the Crowell, crow, right? Isaiah Crowell hype video from when he was in college that some guy made. It's it. the greatest thing it's on the internet. So stupid, but it's so funny. It, I highly recommend it. Uh, if you like our podcast, you will probably like this. It's uh, not safe for work. See, Kevin, you said cornerback was their weakest position. I think wide receiver is their weakest position. Uh, wide receiver, they have Kenny Britt, who's legitimately a good receiver last year. They have Corey uh, Coleman. Corey I Coleman, who got hurt but was good before he got hurt. And then they have the 47 draft picks they spent in 2016 on wide receiver. And they're all like, I don't, I don't we know. We don't know what they are yet. Ricardo Lewis, Rashard Higgins, J- Jordan Payton. It feels uh, like, it's like Kenny really Britt weird. was that uh, that veteran presence they wanted to bring in. It I don't really understand uh, why Josh Gibson had to, not Josh Gibson, Josh Gordon, Josh Gordon, Josh Gordon had to uh, you know ruin his NFL career. Okay, and I want to say one thing. I think Hugh Jackson's a really good head coach. Yes, I think he's underrated. He got screwed uh, when he was in Oakland. Like Hugh Jackson is. Is a uh, is really good head coach, and I think he deserves like at least two more seasons, maybe even three, to ride this out. Like they got to give him a real shot. I would hate to see him get fired right as the team's starting to get better, and then the next coach get all the credit for them being good because it's not really fair to him because he's he was here in the worst part, right? Like last year they had the, probably the most talent deficient roster we've seen since this year's Jets. 
<laughs> and Absolutely this year's 49ers true. and this year's oh wait no just this year's jets is the worst man like this year's it's 49ers bad. at least they tried like they got elmas doomer mill and they like signed guys that they get the we tried award they they signed guys that were real nfl football players the jets it's like they tried to get every real nfl football player off their roster it's like in the it's like in the major league when yeah <laughs> they're this trying to move dead. the team to florida <laughs> it's like it's like they're I, I think they're gonna put up a a, a nice uh, cutout of the owner and take clothes off of it you can forget about talent because he's just high priced all right uh let's start That's christian hackenberg i haven't started yet have i so let me start with this one cleveland browns i have them at five and eleven uh mostly because their division's tough it's a, i think this is a decent division and i think there's a very real chance to go zero and six in the division uh but they get to play jaguars titans uh those are winnable games uh you know it's it's not the end of the world for uh for the browns uh, i think they'll be solid uh but not great they got kind of hurt by the fact that a lot of the teams on the rise finished in the same spot of the in the divisions as them. Like the Chargers is a good example of this. I think the Chargers are a lot better than last year, and they they were also the team that got last in their division. It's like, oops, now we got to play the Chargers, like on the road. So that's like they got just got kind of tough schedule. I think. Yeah, I think they also have a rough matchup against teams like the Titans and the Vikings. Teams with good defenses, they're going to struggle to score points because their offense is their weak point, which is why I also have them at five and eleven. They're going to struggle to score points against just, good teams you just can't defenses. can't try to roll in here with no real quarterback right that's like it's like the, it's they're like rolling the in with problem. brock osweiler we saw that get you a cool calm and collected 17 points a game and that's just not gonna do it all the time well when when osweiler can't cross the trevor simeon bar and everyone agrees that that's correct uh that's you're not in good shape you're you're just not in good shape he didn't look that bad in in Denver, and then you looked really bad in Houston. So I makes, kinda, makes you think how good is Denver's coach? Was Denver's coach? I agree, but how good is Cleveland's coach? And I was telling Kevin on the way in, I, I'm like cautiously optimistic about Brock Osweiler. We might be the 22nd. Best yeah, like in maybe NFL. maybe he'll right, get right. all the way up to 18th or 19th. Right now, I'd say he's probably. Oh, fifth. Right, you're not talking I'm, crazy talk. There, no, I'm, right. around, I'm around 50th. So yeah, I would, I would say that <laughs> um, you're right in there, dude. No, but uh, I uh, yeah, Seahawks nest all around. I have this team also finishing at five and eleven. All right, mainly because you can't you can't just say that they're going to make the playoffs because they had all these great additions. Five and they eleven. Have time to throw. If you look at this, five and eleven will be seen as a huge improvement. I my biggest problem be. with them if they had one good wide receiver, if they had like a. Even like a like a middle good one, like who's the wide receiver? Well, if they had signed Jeremy Macklin, if they had Golden Tate on this team, or if they had signed Jeremy Macklin, I'd be like, you know what? There's a chance because they got one good wide receiver that I really believe in. So if Corey Coleman and uh, and uh, oh man, I just forgot Kenny that. Britt. Kenny Britt are better than I expect. This team might be, be even better than I thought. But I playoffs are out of the question. I think the absolute ceiling is eight and eight. This team will be no better than eight and eight. Eight and eight would be a historic improvement. Yeah, yeah. Seven wins improvement would be amazing. Uh, I think five and eleven is a great start, and I would say not this. The following year after this year, you could start looking at the Browns as maybe being a legitimate playoff contender if they can make one or two more good solid moves. Our last team, the hated Steelers. The hated Steelers brought in Damian Stafford and lost Jarvis Jones, Ladarius Green, D'Angelo Thomas, and Shamarco Thomas. D'Angelo Williams and Shamarco Thomas. They went 11-5 and last year making the playoffs, and their over-under this year is set at 10.5, minus 115. Let me tell you why that over-under is like that. I'm going to start this time. Let me tell you why that over-under is like that. You ready for this? Yep. It's because this team really lost nothing, and they didn't really add anything. It's like almost exactly the same team as last year. They're just like, hey, last year was pretty good. Let's get Juju Smith-Schuster and uh, run it back. Oh, wait, we got TJ Watt, too. Yeah, that's pretty good. Like, Let's just run it back with the same guys. And I actually think that's a, a good strategy. Like, the team was pretty good last year. They weren't great. Uh, they had a, a couple injuries. But, like, running it back with the same good team is not a bad plan. They still have the same strengths and weaknesses. Their secondary is maybe a little shaky. The front seven of their defense is pretty good. The, their wide receivers are awesome. Their passing game is awesome. Le'Veon Bell is amazing. Their offensive line is really good. The offense, this offense will move the football. But the, the defense, is, you could pass on this defense for sure. Uh, Eric, I know you love Ben Roethlisberger, so tell us all about why, 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 uh, how you feel about the Steelers. Uh, I think exactly you said it. Steelers really kind of treaded water in the off season. They're getting older, but they're not like an old team. They had a decent draft. They still have Ben Roethlisberger, which, as much as I don't want to like this guy for a few reasons, uh, he plays for Darth Vader. Uh, off the field issues, uh, the fact that he still has not scored a touchdown in Super Bowl Forty, 
against the Seahawks, <laughs> and then and then uh, admitted to it and laughed about it. Uh, that will always stick in my craw. Uh, I feel like this team, you know, they have the horses, so to speak. I feel like they have a great coach. I I really like Mike Tomlin. Uh, I don't know. Mike Tomlin seems like tough and maybe fair. It doesn't really matter. Are you talking about Omar Epps, the head coach of yeah, the, uh, of the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers? Uh, old, mature Omar Epps, even though I'm pretty sure that Mike Tomlin is younger than Omar Epps. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I just I feel like Omar Epps will just like... He, he's like a drill instructor. I feel like, bring him to me, I'll kick their ass. And, uh, you know, it's he's a, he's a very much my way or the highway get out sort of coach, and he gets the most out of his players. Kevin, I have a question for you. I don't know anything about Cameron Sutton, the cornerback that they drafted. Is he going to be able to shore up the secondary a little bit? I'm glad you asked, because he's one of the players I wanted to bring up. Yeah, because I I knew you'd know about him, because he played in the SEC. (laughs) So let's go ahead and quickly talk about the changes. I think that TJ Watt's the most important pick they made. He's so good. James Harrison's about 107 years old. He played on the Steel Curtain, and... (laughs) He's still their only legitimate proven pass rusher. TJ Watt could be a legitimate pass rusher. If he is, this defense goes from like around 20th to around 10th in the NFL. Yeah, they, That's how big a difference they, that do is. You think, do you think that pass rush will help like cover up some of the deficiencies on the backside? Of I the- think it will because Artie Burns is very athletic and Sean Davis is very athletic they're two top picks from last year but they still need to like improve their game I thought Cody Sanzibar was an interesting pick because it means you have a functioning cornerback as your basement it's that whole like if you take a garbage fire and turn it into just regular pavement with some bubble gum on it. So you're saying like it's S- better. Sansaba is just like he's there. He's like breaking case. If Cameron Sutton doesn't work out, well, here's a league average guy we can plug in. Right. Or even if he has to play on the outside, because Cam Sutton I think is an inside nickel corner. Okay. And if you put him there, he also offers you some depth as a return man. He's a legitimate return man. But as a corner, he has okay speed. He has good like lateral quickness, so he can keep with those slot receivers, like the the quick but not fast guys like a julian edelman he has the speed to keep up is and his technique's getting better this is a guy who has a really strong athletic pedigree and a ton of experience covering nfl quality receivers because he was the top corner on tennessee's defense and so he had to play the top wide like he was he had to guard amari cooper he had to guard you know uh whatever nfl wide receiver that lsu and georgia were running out in a given year you know so he's covered a lot of nfl talent and he's done a respectable job so i think he should come in and compete right away for snaps all right so we've got improve them we've got the steelers we've kind of said our piece about them and oh my god their offense is still good how the hell do they get juju smith future too yeah they go five deep at legitimate nfl wide receivers right like their worst wide receiver their worst wide receivers are like what sammy coates and darius hayward bay like those guys are both those guys would both. Those guys would both be the three and the four for yeah, Cleveland. Both of those guys uh, are going to have arguably two and three, but definitely three and four. <laughs> you know, uh, Darius Hayward Bay had a game last season where they're like, "Where did this guy come from?" Remember when he was supposed to be good for the Raiders? Yeah, remember when he was just a wet dream of the. Remember of the, when he was drafted because he ran a four four forty? Yeah, <laughs> it's a. Uh, I don't know. Like I said, Mike Tomlin gets everything he can out of his players. By the way, Kevin, four three forty. Thank you. <laughs> He's even faster. Than Got the you. Al Davis bump. Al Davis is like four three. We got to take him. He could be the next <laughs> James Jet. <laughs> All right, so let's give our picks for the Steelers. Two Starting teams. with Kevin. Kevin, how do we got the Steelers at? I have them tied at the top of the division with the Ravens at eleven and five, winning on strength of schedule tiebreaker. Cool. So uh, I think that puts them my number two seed, Eric, or three seed. Eric, where you got them? I have them as the number two seed in the conference at twelve and four. I have got them as the number five seed at eleven and five. What? I think they're really good, though. That, this this offense will not miss the playoffs. I would they take it take a lot of injuries. Ben Roethlisberger missing seven games would probably do it, <laughs> which is not which is possible. He gets, seems to get dinged up every year now. Was shockingly not white Landry Jones coming in to help. Yeah, out. Landry Jones is not good. Uh, all right, and oh yeah, don't forget though, Kevin. They did draft Josh Dobbs. Maybe a. Uh, Maybe this maybe this is Josh Dobbs' t- time to shine. Josh Dobbs is not NFL ready by any stretch of the imagination. It's his time. It's time to shine. You're right. talking like massive breaking break glass in case of emergency. All right, so that is our review of the AFC North. 
Uh, we see the Ravens and Steelers as being pretty good. Uh, Ravens as a borderline playoff team, and the Steelers as a definite playoff team. I really want to make a slash. Bengals making a, another step backwards, and the Browns improving, but not enough to get in the mix. All right, that's uh, that's how the Seahawks nest sees the AFC North. Uh, we have five minutes to talk about a movie, and I thought we're going to go into overtime because <laughs> let's wait. Wait, so before, we, before we do movies, though, we got to get in the money zone. Yeah, got plugs this. <laughs> got to get in the money, the money zone. Kevin, tell us what's in the money zone. Well, I'll That's tell right. you what. There's a couple things coming up. One is we're going to start some, I'm going to start some NFL draft uh, preview videos. I'm going to be doing some videos for players that the Seahawks took, breaking down a little bit of tape. Um, if you're familiar with the Patreon videos that Nathan put up with some current Seahawks players, it'll be similar to that. I'll be putting the first one out for public consumption. But after that, they're going to be going behind that pay curtain. So if you enjoy the first one, which will be on Malik McDowell, then you may uh, pay $1.24 at patreon.com slash Seahawksnest if you would like to be able to see the rest of these releases and find out a little bit more about the and upcoming talent. And don't forget, that's where our, our NFL picks will be hiding. Uh, we'll be picking every game all season. You can keep track and see who which of us is the best at picking games and which of us is clearly the worst. Also, if you would like to join the official Seahawksnest podcast fantasy football league, then you may sign up through our Patreon. You get first come, first serve access, yeah. and we'll fill in with a contest after that to see who rounds out the league. Right, so we're going to put it on Patreon first. Every Patreon will have a chance to sign up. We'll run two leagues. That'll be uh, There'll be a Kevin versus and a Nathan's versus league if we have like too much interest. Uh, but then... Uh, because you- we only do... 12 team leagues because yeah, we're, not gonna do, we're not going to do a 20 team league. We're going to do 12 teams uh, or two 10 team leagues. <laughs> Who's your starting quarterback? Uh, Colin Kaepernick. Yeah, it's like not, uh-huh. I don't, I don't like that. So the, we'll be doing that. And if you are a patron, you'll get first, you'll get the links will go on Patreon first. And then after that, they will go up on a contest that we're going to do. We're going to have you guys apply like a job. <laughs> and we're going to read your applications on here. If you have a Kevin zone. league and a Nathan league, what league do I get to be on? Since I, since I, you know, have won twice the league. You, would, you, all in. you only get to play the people who win next year because they, they, <laughs> they have to earn their way to you. It's like Premier League. <laughs> we're, we're, like the, we're like the lower tiers. <laughs> and I'm be scouting all the teams. They have to work their way up to Eric. Oh, it's gonna be so All disappointing right. for them. Yeah. So, <laughs> hey man, I've been to the finals of our league three times and lost twice. I'm the LeBron James of our <laughs> of our fantasy football league. I made the playoffs every year. I'm just like LeBron James. I never can get over the hump, except for one time. That that's just like LeBron. All right. So, movie time this week is the World Series of Poker. So I thought it'd be cool if we talked about my favorite poker movie, which is of course Rounders. So everybody's favorite poker movie. Yeah, it's pretty great. Rounders stars. Uh, Matt Damon and uh, Edward Norton as the kind of titular character who's a lawyer who used to be a a pro poker player and he has to decide what he wants to do. Uh, We've also got great other performances by Edward Norton playing his like best friend who's a jerk worm. And you have to recognize the worst accent fake in the history of acting with John Malkovich giving this man his money. Yeah, John Malkovich money. plays a Russian gangster. I will splash the pot whenever the fuck I want. Uh, he plays I don't a, have to put a dollar in a swear jar. John Malkovich does. He, uh, John Malkovich actually like he busts. Uh, he busts Mike in like the first scene of the movie, and at the, end, the whole movie's building up to like a poker showdown between them at the end of the movie. Uh, we've got jo- John Turturro playing Joey Kanish, yep. who I I just love. Uh, he's so great in this role. He's just the he's the quintessential like poker grinder who just like kind of hates his life. Which, if you know any poker grinders, that's what they're like. <laughs> but drives but he, the but, uh, the but vendor yeah, refill truck. He, he owns like a uh, he owns like a distribution company that Mike's going to drive trucks for because he doesn't want to get back into poker. And Joey's <laughs> like, "You're going to come back. I know you're coming back." Um, so gotta drive the truck. Yeah, stay we've humble. also got you know. There's just other people. It's really Famke Jansen, uh, Martin Landau. Like there's just a bunch of people in this year. So Rounders, though, uh, I think what's cool about Rounders is it like really captures like the there's like a fundamental uh, there's like a tension when you're playing poker for seriously. Uh, I I don't talk about it a lot, but I play poker a lot in college and uh, like online and offline. And I actually got out 
a significant portion of my money right before right before the hammer dropped and everyone lost everything so i f- count myself pretty fortunate in that regard uh the thing that's interesting is like you're always like it it becomes like such a grind it's such you're just your your shoulders down and you're grinding it out and like when worm and him are hitting all those poker games and they're just grinding to get like a few more dollars a few more dollars a few more dollars and he's trying to build up his his bankroll back up you know it's just like man it's just such a grind and i i kind of like that that feeling of just like grinding it out you know just grinding it out outworking everyone just working all the angles like trying to just grind and grind and grind and grind because that's really what it is when you play like that much you just you just have to grind it out man this has all the feel of a boxing movie where they just replace the boxing matches with a poker table. Like, it has a lot of those, you know, uh, talking yourself through the training. It has a very similar arc. This is a sports movie, the way that it's done. There's a real energy and, like, a good... And tension in a good poker game, though. When you're, like, when you're in that moment and there's that tension and, like, that... This movie really captures that. Like, the the tension and, like, a big moment in a poker game. When you, like... It's time to get out of your sooner, or you notice something the way someone's playing, or you notice someone's like you know you pick up on someone's habits. Like then all of a sudden it just tilts the game, right? And like there's this energy that you feel. It's like kind of it's hard to describe, but I feel like this movie does a really good job, like kind of capturing that feeling. And also the, I mean the tension that every poker player would have to have. Like, is this something you want to do for your whole life, or do you like want to have a, a real job, right? Like the, he has to decide, like do I want to be a lawyer or do I want to be a poker player? Right. Which is the, which is the life path that is actually going to, going to pick for it. He's going to pick for himself. That's like a, that's like a hard choice that for a person to make, I think this, uh, I, I'll listen to you guys talk about this movie. It's a great movie. Uh, like Kevin said, it's, it's got a lot of drama for being a movie about poker, but it's got like the villain. It's got the overall arc. It's got the, the lessons learned. It's got the, uh, you know, the friend who, I know I've had a person in my life uh, growing up that, you know, you feel like, you know, you're always you're always going to be close to this person even though they're no good. You're kind of indebted to them, though? Yeah, or just or even just because you feel bad for them even though they are really indebted to you. Um, I feel like this movie hits on a lot of levels that make it not about poker even though it's clearly a movie about poker. Um, Matt Damon's wonderful in this movie. I think it's one of the reasons why we love Matt Damon so much. Edward Norton... He's like a Hollywood guy who's in a lot of movies. He's a fine actor. He is a real smarmy piece of shit in this movie. Oh, he does it so well. And he, yeah, and he, it's one of those things where anytime the movie is on an upswing, Edward Norton's character shows up to basically say, no, 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 we're going to ruin this because I'm in it. Yeah, he's like the devil on the shoulder, right? Yeah, oh, like yeah. when they, uh, when he's building up his bankroll and he, he gets in that game with all those cops, and Matt Damon is just taking it to him. And it's the the cops, the cops are okay with it because it's a game of poker. And all of a sudden, like Edward Norton, Edward Norton's character shows up, and he's like, oh, "Who's this guy we found on the street?" And he starts like you know stacking the deck for Matt Damon, and Matt's like, "Stop!" You know, it's it's a wonderful scene. He's the guy who takes it one step too far. Yes, and uh, and then you have on the other hand the grinder, like Nate was saying, who doesn't take it far enough. And so okay. he's never. He, you got he, the two on his shoulder, right? And he also says, Joey, "I mean, they say about Joey Kanish in the movie, like you never really are going to make anything because you're never willing to risk it enough, right? Like you're never going to make it huge because you just you're just grinding out a living, right? You're just you're just getting by, you're just playing the small games or whatever, right? And you gotta you're gonna have to go, you have to push it all in at some point to go to win big, right? And he's never going to do it, right? The other thing is, this is a movie that uses." a narrator very very well having you know i forgot about that having matt damon narrate what's happening gives the movie the tension that nathan's talking about because you couldn't really shoot this movie without it and give it that feel because you can't sit and talk your way through a game of poker for the most part so that allows them to share that feeling of dread or that that smarmy cockiness of knowing that you figured somebody out and the way that he narrates during the games and the way that he lets you inside of his psyche really gives you 
that extra connection to Matt Damon's character that really makes you kind of feel his successes and feel his failures and care, which I think we've talked about it before on the podcast. Anytime a movie gets you to feel real emotions about a character, that movie just won. Because that's not easy to do. True. Yeah. Um, it's a really great movie. Matt Damon's awesome. Matt Damon's my favorite actor, so I'm like really biased, maybe. But like, I just really think he's great in this movie. He does a really good job. Uh, it's just a, it's a it's a f- interesting, fun movie to watch. It's I think it does, um, it does a good job of like really kind of describing you know card players, hustlers. Like, uh, I'd say it's a movie that most people should see. I w- I would even say everyone should see. This is a legitimately very good movie that gets overlooked a little bit. There's also, Bill Simmons has written a bunch of pieces about this for Grantland. The Grantland did a moment podcast where they had uh, Koppelman, the, the writer, come on and talk about uh, the movie. Like, there's been a bunch of stuff on Grantland about this movie, like oral histories and stuff that I think is really interesting. That if you want to know more about it, uh, that's a place I would go. Um, they've all, also, there's been like, they have like a rounders too. Like, they they've said like oh we're ready to make it we can make it but it's just never kind of gotten off the ground i don't know what that movie would be about in this day and age i think poker has changed so much uh, in terms of growth it used to be like when you played a lot you knew a lot and everyone else didn't know anything so it was really it was easier now everyone knows right it's like everyone has been playing for a long time and it's 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 a lot harder to crack like a, a poker game comparatively to it used to be uh, maybe people would disagree with me on that. I don't know. Maybe there's just more fish now. Or maybe, or maybe you know what? Maybe I stopped playing. I got rusty, and now I'm the fish. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure. But uh, yeah, that's uh, that's my uh, that's my take on uh, rounders. So uh, yep, that's it for us. Uh, the CSNS podcast for my good friends Kevin Garber and Eric Ronnebeck. Uh We will see you next week. Go Hawks. Well, I ain't got nothing but a little soap, a little tune to play to make the good times run.